Hey, it's great to see so many of you here on our campus today. Let me welcome everybody joining us online. If we haven't had a chance to meet, uh, my name's Adam, one of the pastors here. Glad you're here. It's always fun to kick off a brand new series today, and we are doing that. It's called Broken Crown. We're going to take a few weeks and talk about some Old Testament kings. I'm a little fired up about that, and I think that you're going to see how these ancient characters, um, there's some things from their lives that God wants us to see and apply in our lives today. But before I get to the message, we're going to take a minute and we're going to celebrate, okay? Because over the last six weeks here at Vaughn Forest and everything we're kind of involved in all over the place, there's been some really awesome things happening. And one of the things that we're trying to get better at is stopping to celebrate. Because I'm a little wired to just kind of move on to the next thing. I don't know about you. Let's charge the next hill, right? I mean, let's go. But sometimes we got to pause. We got to reflect. Did you know the number one command in the Bible is actually remember? God wants us to celebrate his faithfulness. And so over the last six weeks, we've seen God do some pretty remarkable things. And uh, we're going to take a second here and we are going to celebrate. So let me tell you how this is going to work, right? I'm going to put a lot of things up here on this little screen behind me, and they're going to kind of start listing off one at a time. But this is going to be like high school commencement. I'm going to ask you to hold your applause until the end, okay? There's always that one crazy uncle starts cheering, ruins it for everybody. Don't be that crazy uncle. We're going to hold our applause to the end. And then I'm going to get you to applause and we're going to thank God and we're going to cheer for all that he's doing. Now, here's the thing. I got to be straight up with y'all, okay? This is the 11 o'clock service. If you're joining us online, 11 o'clock service. If you're watching this later in the week, this is the 11 o'clock service. Now, the 9.30 service, they're usually a little more timid. They're kind of sleepy. They're just kind of waking up. But when I asked them to cheer, they brought it, okay? So they have dropped the gauntlet. They have issued the challenge. So 11 o'clock, when I ask you to cheer, you're going to have to do something to make a little noise to outdo those early morning, more spiritual people that got up earlier than you, okay? So you're going to have to cheer a little louder. All right, so let's kind of celebrate what we've seen God do over the last six weeks. First of all, we completed our Weathering Life Storms teaching series. We took the month of January and we really promoted this series and many of you invited your friends to come and it was awesome to see, to see so many of you have your friends here with you and to see so many new people come onto our campus and God did a really good thing um, during that teaching series. Now I want to give you some numbers because numbers represent people. So we don't necessarily celebrate the numbers, we celebrate the people that the numbers represent. So over the last six weeks we had a total of 100 121 first-time guests here on our campus. That's 47 first-time guests in our kids' ministry, 14 middle school and high schoolers in our student ministry at 930, and 60 adults in our worship services that we know about. So those are adults that let us know through their connection card. And so I'm not that good at math, but 121 over the last six weeks, that's about 20 first-time guests um, per Sunday. So we certainly want to celebrate that here, um, all that God is doing. Now this one's really interesting. We had a total of 323 kids and 96 students in our Next Generation Ministries. That's 419. So let's just kind of think, sink in for a second. Over the last six weeks, 419 different kids and or teenagers have been checked into our children's and or student ministry. Now that's remarkable. Okay? So think about the impact that we're having in the lives of those kids and teenagers, and then also the impact we're having in the lives of their parents, many times the lives of their grandparents. Let me just say this. Many of you in this service, you serve during the 930 service in the children's ministry, or you serve in the student ministry. And I just want you to know you are making a great kingdom impact. And it's so awesome for us to see as a church that many kids and that many teenagers feel welcomed on our campus and they want to be here. So that's a remarkable 
remarkable number. Also, we had a high attendance of 1,057. So we decided a few years back that we weren't going to count our online attendance and our overall number. We have lots of people that join us online every week, but we just couldn't figure out how with integrity to actually come up with a metric. And so if you're joining us online, you count. We love you. We're glad you're joining us, okay? But when it comes to the people we count, we're kind of counting who's on our campus each week. And so you can see, um, you know, between 1,000 and 1,100 people on our campus over the last six weeks um, each weekend. Now, here's what's interesting. Every now and then, let's just look back, like, you know, where, where we were this time last year, this time a couple years ago. So I think this is worth celebrating that this time last year, we had 829 people on our campus each Sunday. And so we're up um, obviously from that. And then this time two years ago, it was 555. And so literally in the last two years, the amount of people who are on our campus every single week has doubled. Okay, so I need you to look at all this. I need you to look at all this all at one time. And the reason why we put all this up here is because we don't want to ever have this attitude where we just expect that this is what God is supposed to do. God is blessing and God is pouring out his blessing and we're seeing it in tangible ways. And, and, and there's a lot of churches that they love Jesus too and they're praying and they're seeking. And, and these, aren't, these things aren't happening there. And so when it's happening, when God's doing something, you certainly want to thank him and you certainly want to celebrate what he is up to. Okay, so I, I set that up. I think I did a pretty stinking good job. I set that up, okay? So now it's your turn to outdo the 930 service and let's celebrate all that God is up to in our church. Come on. Yeah. All right. That was good. That was good. Y'all beat them. I'm telling you straight up. They're still more spiritual than you because they got up earlier, but y'all beat them, okay? That was awesome, okay? But we're not done. I'm gonna celebrate a few more things, okay? Let's talk about some other things. We've had 25 individuals attend Discover Vaughn Forest so far. So let me give you some so far statistics. One of the things that we try to do in an ongoing week after week, month after month effort is to get people connected as quickly as possible. So we wanna get bigger because people need Jesus, but we also want to get smaller because we grow in relationships and community with one another. And so one of the ways we try to help new people get connected into the life of our church is through Discover Vaughn Force. Now we used to do this about every six to eight weeks, and sometimes we would have 50 or 60 people. It was a lunch, we'd eat pizza, and it was fun, but it wasn't really helping us accomplish the purpose of relationships. And so what we've done this year is we're doing them more frequently. We're intentionally having less people there because we're doing them more frequently. And rather than it being a lunch, it's happening during the 930 service. And Chad and Hardy, two of our pastors, lead the time and they take everybody around the campus on a tour to help them see how they can get connected. And so we've had a couple of these so far. We, we've, again, about every four to six weeks, you'll see them on the connection card. So, so far this year, we've had 25 individuals and we'll keep adding to that. We've had 40 kids and parents attend Kid Faith so far. I think this is the one I'm most fired up about. So you've got kids, they start asking questions about what does it mean to be a Christian? Why are people getting baptized? And so we do this about once, again, every four to six weeks. It's a lunch and it's for kids and their parents. And what we do is we give a very clear gospel presentation and we use kind of a visual aid to help with that. And our kids ministry team led by my wife, Morgan, does a great job. Sometimes I do the gospel presentation. Sometimes Chad does the gospel presentation. Matt Aldridge, our new student pastor, do the gospel presentation. And then at the end, we don't ask the kids to bow their heads pray a prayer, ask them to pray that with us and raise their hands. What we do is we now leave that in the hands of the parents to continue that conversation because decisions are made in process. 
And what we don't wanna do is raise a generation of kids who got baptized when they were kids and then a decade later realized they had no idea what they were doing. So what we're trying to do is come alongside parents and help them in that process. At the end of the class, uh, Morgan will take the kids and she'll talk to them. And then one of us, one of the pastors, will talk to just the parents about here are some spiritual markers to look for in your conversations for spiritual readiness, for when your child is ready to profess Christ Jesus, not as your Savior for them, but as his or her individual Savior. And so what's been happening are the kids that are getting baptized in here in our services. And we've had it in our last service. We'll have it again in this service today. Our kids that have come through kid faith, they've made the decision for themselves. And Colossians chapter two says to plant your roots down deep in Jesus. They're doing that at an early age and they're solidified in their walk with the Lord so they can enter the waters of the baptistry with clarity and with boldness and we get to celebrate their baptism. So I'm super fired up that we've seen that happen so far this year. We've also had 16 individuals join our church through membership class so far. Again, we're doing those more frequently and with fewer people so they can be driven a little bit more conversationally. And then this number actually grew already today. Before today, we've had 11 individuals get baptized so far this year. So these numbers aren't as big, but in many ways they're more significant because they're, they're emblematic of people who are taking next steps in their spiritual growth. And so again, I want you to celebrate these numbers as well. So let's go. Let's see how you can do it. Come on. Come on. There you go. Good. Very good. Lots of fun. Man, come on. We could go home now. No, we're not going to go home now. Okay. We, got, we still got some things to do. Okay. So it's super exciting to see all God has done over the last six weeks. Now, let's kind of look ahead for a second. Let's celebrate this. I won't make you clap anymore, but I do want to make sure you know that Easter is in just a few weeks. In fact, it's three weeks away. Did you know that? It's sneaking up on us. Easter, Sunday, April 9th, 9.30, 11 a.m., normal Sunday schedule with kids ministry, student ministry, life groups, worship services. Um, it's in three weeks, and hopefully on your way in today, you grabbed a stack of these Easter invite tickets. There's five of them. If you did not on your way out today, make sure you grab some of these. There's also some yard signs you can pick up in the lobby. And quite simply, let me just challenge you, begin now to pray and even ask people to join you for Easter. Unchurched people are more likely to say yes to an invitation at Easter, usually more than just about any other time of the year. And the number one reason people don't attend church is because no one ever asked them. No one ever invited them. So who are your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers? If you're a student, who are you in classes with? And they don't know God. They're, they're far from God. And yet you could extend an invitation and they could join you on Easter and they're gonna hear a super clear gospel presentation as we then leverage that into a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And so I think it's gonna be a really fun Sunday to celebrate not just Easter, but what God can do in the lives of some people that he has strategically placed you in close proximity with. So you begin to pray now and then use those tickets to invite folks. And in three weeks, we're gonna have a big celebration. Before today, we are kicking off this new series. It's called Broken Crown. Excited about it. And let me tell you where we got the title of the series. We totally ripped it off from a book. And so here's the cover of the book. It's called Broken Crown. And it's written by a pastor named Chris Bell. Pastors a really good church down in Mobile called Three Circle Church. He wrote this book about five years ago, I think. And it's just fantastic. So I highly recommend it. Go on Amazon, order this book. Let it be 
kind of a resource for you over the next three weeks. This is gonna be a pretty quick series. We'll do it for three weeks leading up to Easter. And so the book is more exhaustive in nature about some different kings in the Old Testament. And so we're only gonna be talking about a few of them in this series. And, and I'm kind of you know, taking some of the ideas he says in the book and then kind of running off into God's word and, and then coming in here and teaching you what scripture has to say about these particular kings. But I do think it's a great resource and I highly encourage you to pick it up. Let me tell you what we're gonna do about today. I'm pretty fired about this. We're gonna talk about King Saul, specifically mistakes and lessons from the life of King Saul. If you're new to the Bible, 30 seconds on King Saul. He's the first king of God's people, the Israelites. Now, the second king, David, is a lot more famous. David, the same guy who killed Goliath. Even if you've never been to church before, you've probably heard that story. But there was a king that preceded David. His name was Saul, and in many ways, his life was a failure. Sometimes in God's word, we see people who they were obedient, were challenged by their obedience, and we can learn some lessons from that. Sometimes in God's word, we see some individuals who did not get it right, and yet sometimes those individuals serve us best, that we actually can learn from their mistakes. I remember years ago in high school, my dad told me that smart people learn from their own mistake, but wise people learn from the mistakes of others. And so what we wanna do is let King Saul's life give us some wisdom, the lessons we can glean from his mistakes. So if you're here on our campus, there's some message notes inside your bulletin. Let me get, ask you to go ahead and get those and uh, get ready to jot down a few things. If you're new, if you're a guest, welcome. We're glad you're here. We like to take notes because it helps us remember things, which helps us be more likely to put those things and to practice. And we actually think that's why we read God's word. That God's word was given to us for transformation, not just for the information that we can learn about different people in the Bible. So as you get your message notes ready, and if you're joining us online, you can access those at vaughnforest.com or through the Vaughn Forest Church app. Let me tell you how I've kind of formatted uh, today. What we're gonna do is we're gonna look at a mistake. I got five of them. I'm gonna give you a mistake. Here's a mistake Saul made. We're gonna go to God's word. We're gonna see it. I'm gonna try to give you what my take on it as far as an explanation. So here's the why behind the what. what was going, why would he do this? It's so obvious to us, it's a mistake. Why did he make the mistake? And then there's the lesson. The lesson that hopefully makes sense in a way where we can apply it today. And that's what I've put in your notes. And so you'll be jotting down the lessons um, and your fill-ins, but there might be a few other things along the way that you wanna jot down in the margins as well. So let's get going. We got five of these today, and here's the first one. Mistake number one, the people ask God for an earthly king. And so the first mistake isn't necessarily Saul's mistake as much as it is the Israelites' mistake. They ask God for an earthly king. So let's go to God's word and let's see where this request is made. Our passages will be in 1 Samuel today. So all of the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. They were very subtle. Now appoint a king to lead us, here's the key, such as all the other nations have. They're looking around and they're seeing this and now they want what these other nations have. And Samuel tries to reason with them and say, listen, if you get a king like the other nations have, he's gonna take a bunch of your cattle. He's gonna take a lot of your crops. In many ways, you will start to feel enslaved to him. But they're not having any of it. They ignore Samuel and they demand to have a king. Now, here's the explanation why. They were focused on the nations around them. They lost sight of God. 
They lost sight that God was the one who was leading them, and they were looking around them. And Samuel's like, listen, it's not going to go well if you continue to make this request. And here's how he chooses to try to explain that to them. And then they come back to him and say, no, we want a king over us. Then we will be like, here we go, all the other nations. They're focused on what's going on around them. With a king to lead us and to go out before us and to fight our battles. When Samuel heard all the people said, he repeated it before the Lord, and the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. So here's the lesson, if you're taking notes today, that I'd ask you to jot down. Sometimes God allows us to have what we think we want to show us that our real need is him. So we're gonna leave this up here because you got a lot of things to jot down. But here's the lesson. Sometimes God allows us to have what we think we want to show us that our real need is him. They just keep asking. See, it wasn't that they wanted a king. We ultimately see that God gives them a king. Here's the key. A man after his own heart, David. Not a king like the rest of the nations have, and yet they are persistent in making this request before God. And and I actually think persistence in making requests before God is a very positive trait. As long as the requests that you're making are aligned within God's will for your life. How do you know what that is? It can be a little bit of a mystery. So let's talk about that for a second because the way that we make our request before God is through prayer. And I would encourage you, whatever's on your heart, whatever you desire, talk to God about it. He already knows anyway. It's a way for you to cultivate a relationship with him. But when you take a request to God, understand that the way he answers that ultimately is for his glory and your good. And years ago, a pastor shared with me that there were four ways that God answers our prayers. This might be helpful to jot down somewhere in the margin of your notes. That when you pray and ask God for something, there's four different, four different possible answers he could give you. Go, grow, slow, no. See, it's easy to remember. They all rhyme, okay? Go, grow, slow, no. What's go? That's yes. That's what we want. We ask God for something, and sometimes he says go. Yes, you can do it. This is within my will. Sometimes he says grow. That can be humbling. That you're asking something from God, it's aligned within his will for your life. You're just not ready yet. There's a depth of character that may need to be built. There's some other areas of our life that perhaps need to grow and Christ-likeness before we are ready to get the go. Sometimes God says slow. I don't like that answer. I like God to move things along on my timeline. So many times in my life, God has to say, Adam, I need you to align your timeline with my timeline. You gotta be patient. What you're asking for isn't bad. It's just not time yet. And then sometimes God says, no. He closes the door of opportunity that you were just sure was from him. Now, here's where this matters. If our level of faith in God is contingent upon how he answers our prayers, we're missing something. See, God desires for us to seek him and love him for who he is, not for what he gives. And sometimes, in an effort to draw us to himself, God will withhold what we think we really need because he's trying to remind us that what we really need is him. Sometimes he'll say here, and he'll give us what we think we need, when in reality, the biggest blessing would have been just to continue to seek him. So as you pray and as you seek the Lord, just remember that that ultimately God is answering prayers in accordance with his sovereignty. And if we knew everything he knew, and if we could see everything from his perspective, we would choose his way as well. Let me give you the second mistake that we see 
from King Saul's life. At his coronation, Saul is hiding in fear. You don't hide in fear on coronation day. I mean, Anna taught us well, right? You open the shutters. Who knew we had, what, 8,000 solid places? Is that how many they have? Okay, so that's what you do on coronation day. You celebrate, you sing, you dance through halls. Well, Saul, at his coronation day, I need you to get the picture. Thousands of people, they're there to celebrate this new king. He's hiding. He's literally hiding in fear. So let's go to the passage and see where we see this. But when they looked for him, I mean, what a day. They looked for him and he's not to be found. So then they inquired further of the Lord. Think about this. Everybody's gathered. They can't find him. So they finally go to God like he sees all, knows all. Maybe he can help us out a little bit here. So they go to the Lord. Has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, He's hidden himself among the supplies. I can almost hear like the disappointment in that answer. Like he's supposed to be out here being celebrated as the king and he's hiding behind the supplies. And so they ran and they brought him out. And as he stood among the people, I can see them kind of like pushing him out in front of the people. He's a head taller than any of the others. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There's no one like him among all the people. And the people shouted, long live the king. Now what's happening here? Let me give you a little bit of an explanation. Saul wasn't confident in what God had called him to. Now Elsa is hiding on her coronation day because she can turn the whole world into ice. We kind of understand that, right? Saul, he's hiding for a different reason. He's not confident in what God had called him to do. So let me kind of show you from God's word what God had called him to do. And God was super clear about what he was calling him to do. So Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 10, here's the story. He took a flask of olive oil and he poured it on Saul's head and he kissed him saying, has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? Perfectly clear, anointing you, you're the king. Now I'm gonna save you a little bit of time for the next 14 verses, let me tell you what happens. After anointing Saul, Samuel says, I need you to go out. And I know this may sound kind of strange to us because God doesn't necessarily work in the same way today. Even though he's the same God, like we sang about earlier, doesn't always work in the same way. In this particular story, Samuel tells Saul, you're gonna go out and find some donkeys. Now I know, that's kind of strange. Okay, but just set that aside for a second. So you're gonna find some donkeys and then he gives him two other signs to know that God is in this. And over the next 14 verses, all three of those things happen exactly the way Samuel told Saul they would. I mean, we would all love to have God be that clear in our life, that somebody would tell us, here's three signs, and then literally, they all happen. Saul starts prophesying. This is a really big day in his life. He's been anointed as the next king. He found the donkeys, praise the Lord. And these other things happened as well. But when Saul returns home that evening to tell his uncle about the day, it's super interesting what he says and what he chooses to leave out. So let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 10 and we'll pick it back up about 15 verses in. So Saul's uncle said, tell me what Samuel said to you. And instead of saying, he anointed me with oil, he gave me three signs. It was incredible. Look at what he says, verse 16. Saul replied, he assured us that the donkeys had been found. He's talking about stinking donkeys. On the day he's anointed to be king, he's missing the entire point. He didn't tell his uncle what Samuel had said about the kingship. Unbelievable. So here's the lesson there for us. Not listening to God privately will cause you to waver publicly. This is what's happening in Saul's life. This is the lesson for us. Not listening to God privately will cause you to waver publicly. This is a private anointing. It's just Samuel and Saul. 
Samuel tells Saul what God's gonna do in his life. God's faithful to do it. But for whatever reason, that did not take root in Saul's heart. And so the first opportunity for him to stand boldly for God, he wavered in that opportunity. And the same is true for us. You say, how's that true for me? I'm not getting anointed to be a king or anything like that. No, that's not true. But if you've experienced salvation, if you've been born again, Jesus claims you as one of his own. He went to the cross for you. Your identity is in Christ. You're a child of God. And if you don't hear God's voice privately in a relationship that you cultivate with him, it is going to be extremely difficult for you to stand for him publicly. Do you know how you hear God's word privately? Through his word. This is why we encourage you so many times to spend time daily in God's word, to go to God's word. I've been in 2 Corinthians lately. I love the book of 2 Corinthians. And you just sit down 10, 15, 20 minutes a day. You open up God's word and you say, God, speak to me today. Would you speak to me as one of your children through your word? And if you'll do that over time, what will begin to happen is you will begin to cultivate the habit of listening to God's word privately, which will give you the strength to stand for him publicly. Saul never learned this lesson and it came back to haunt him, not just on his coronation day, but over and over in his life. Let me give you the third mistake we see from Saul's life. Saul offered the sacrifice instead of waiting for Samuel. Now, you've probably been able to pick up on this so far. I'm bouncing all over the place, okay? Because we're doing one king per week. So I'm giving you a very broad overview of Saul's life, just kind of hitting some of his major mistakes. So this one's really bad. So in the Old Testament, prophet, priest, king, different roles, different responsibilities. And the king was not to offer the sacrifice. That's Samuel's job. But Saul, as we're about to see, gets impatient and he decides to do it himself. It's a huge mistake in his life. So let's go to God's word and see the account. So Saul remained at Gilgal and all the troops with him were quaking in fear. So a sacrifice needs to be offered before they start to fight. That's what's happening here. All the troops are scared. Verse eight. Saul waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel didn't come to Gilgal and Saul's men began, began to scatter. So Saul said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? Asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you didn't come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. I've not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You've done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You've not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. We now know that to be David. He's appointed David ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. This was a grave mistake in Saul's life. So what's happening here? What's the why behind the what? What's the explanation? If you look at Saul's life, here is a pattern. He continually focused on the wrong people, those who are against him and or those who were fearful. This is a pattern in Saul's life. Even when there were people who celebrated him, if there were a few who didn't, those are the people he would focus on. He, he always focused on the wrong people. He always looked at those who were scared and fearful and let them affect his decision-making. That's what happened here. 
It says the troops are scared. It says that he was afraid they were going to scatter. And, and he, he was a people pleaser who was also looking and listening to the wrong people. That's a really bad formula, okay? So here's the lesson for us today. Seek to please God alone and listen to those who encourage you in your walk with the Lord and live by faith. So there's kind of two lessons in this one. So let's unpack that. First of all, seek to please God alone. At some point in your life, if you haven't already, you're gonna have to drive a stake in the ground that you're going to seek to please God, period. You can't be a people pleaser and please God. And for some of us, that's really hard because we genuinely love people. We're, We're not trying to hurt people. We're not trying to upset people. But if you walk with God, there's always gonna be somebody that that upsets. If you walk with God, there's always going to be someone who doesn't like it. It's just the way it is. And at some point in your life, you just have to make the call. I'm going to seek to please God alone. Now, we understand that when it comes to people who are far from God. Like, oh yeah, all those sinners in the world, they're against me, pastor, because I keep walking with the Lord. We understand that. But do you know what hurts worse? Sometimes it's a brother and sister in Christ. Sometimes we're really bad at shooting our own in the church. So let's not do that. May that not be the testimony of Vaughn Forest Church. But you gotta decide. Who are you gonna please, people or God? The other thing though, and this is where it gets real interesting, is we're not pleasing God in a vacuum. We're going through this thing called life with other people that we're in relationships with. So you've gotta be super wise about who you let into your inner circle. Now hopefully there's some people who you're trying to influence their life and be a light and point them to Jesus. But who are the people that are helping cultivate your relationship with God and do they encourage you? Do they encourage you? Or do they point out the things about you that aren't so good? Are they an encourager? You've got to seek out voices who will encourage you. So how do you do that? Become an encourager. You be that voice in someone else's life. You be the person who's encouraging a brother and sister in Christ. Parents, you be the voice of encouragement in your kid's life. The world will take care of tearing them down. They don't need to get that at home. They need encouragement from you. And then here's the other thing to look for. People in your inner circle, do they live by faith? You gotta be super careful about who you share the things of God on your heart, who you share that with. There can be people, well-intended though they may be, who will howl everything to death. What I mean by that, you've got something stirred in you and you share it with somebody and they go, well, how's that gonna happen? How's that gonna work? How could that ever be? And they howl, 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 howl the dream that God's placed in your heart to death. Now, there's other people who live by faith and you share something that's fragile that God's placed on your heart and they look at you and say, well, why not? Why not you? I've seen God be faithful before. I've seen God be faithful in my life. I bet if you step out in faith, God would be faithful for you as well. See, we've gotta be careful about the people that we let close into our heart because part of seeking to please God, hey, Sometimes is we actually need that little encouragement or that little bit of a boost to walk by faith from somebody else who's also walking by faith. Saul did not have this in his life. David did. David had the mighty men who were with him, encouraging him, protecting him, walking with him by faith. And so it's a really big lesson, a huge mistake that we see from Saul's life, okay? Mistake number four. Saul partially obeyed God's command 
from Samuel. So Samuel gives a command. It may not make sense in our modern context, but this command was to kill a king. And there's a whole lot of reasons why that if we went into great detail, you would go, well, that makes sense because he was a super terrible, evil king. But let's see what Saul decides to do. So Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havala to Shur, Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. And he took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. So he doesn't kill him, he keeps him alive. But all the people he totally destroyed. So Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good. So he doesn't kill the, the, the best, he keeps it for himself. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. So what's happening here? A little bit of an explanation. Saul thinks he has a better plan than God. God's plan doesn't make any sense to Saul at all. Why, why? I mean, we should keep the best cattle. We should keep the best sheep. And I know Agag's a pretty terrible guy, but I bet he'd be a good counselor, advisor. You know, us kings, we try to stick together, okay? So Saul just kind of thinks he has this better plan. And it's not a good plan. So what is the lesson there for us? Oh, let me back up here. I forgot. Back up. Look at my verse for it. Here we go. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. This is remarkable. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is the lowing of cattle I hear? Don't, don't miss this. Samuel told him what to do. He blatantly didn't do it. And when Samuel showed up, he said, good to see you, Samuel. I've done what God asked me to do. But he hadn't done what God asked him to do. Samuel literally looks at him and says, I can hear your disobedience. Like, I can hear the sheep. I can hear the cattle. What's happening there? Did you know that in the Bible, it says that sometimes when we sin, it will sear our conscience? That we can get to a place where our sin is at a point where everybody else sees it except for us. This is where Saul is at. It's a huge warning for us. And so here's the lesson I want you to jot down. Fourth lesson from today. Disobedience is evidence of not trusting God. Disobedience is evidence of not trusting God. I say, why would Saul so blatantly disobey God? At the core, there was a lack of trust. And, and when you're struggling in an area of your life where God has clearly said, do this, and you're like, nope, I wanna do that. Might I suggest that what's really happening there is an issue of trust that you haven't cultivated trust in your life with the Lord. So one of the things we're gonna talk about in the podcast this week are some super tangible areas of our life, if I may, that we can fool ourselves. That we can actually think, man, I'm fully trusting God, but if we dig a little and we get beneath the surface, what we find is blatant disobedience. And you can't be trusting God and living in blatant disobedience. Now, I'm not talking about perfection. Did you know that God's after your heart, not your perfection? But blatant disobedience is incongruent with trusting God. So if you've never listened to our podcast, I encourage you to do so this week. We're gonna have an interesting conversation about what that looks like, okay? But here's the fifth mistake. Final mistake we see today from King Saul's life. Saul doesn't fight the battle that God has for him. Did you know the battle that God had for Saul was actually with Goliath? That was never David's battle to fight. If you know the story, David shows up into this whole thing. He was just there to deliver bread and cheese to his brothers. And he overhears what's happening and he steps up, takes Goliath down. But that wasn't his battle. It was actually Saul's and Saul chose not to fight that battle. So let's go to God's word to see this account. 
So Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Here's what Goliath is saying. We don't fight that way. I don't need the whole army coming out here to fight me. I'm a Philistine. You're servants of Saul. Choose a man and have him come down to me. Goliath is calling out Saul. Goliath is their strongest warrior. Saul is Israel's strongest warrior. The way this was supposed to go down was Goliath and Saul, mano in mano. He's calling him out. He says, choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we'll become your subjects. But if, we, if I overcome him and kill him, he's talking about Saul, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let's fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, look at this, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. He's getting called out and he's terrified. So what's going on here? Here's the explanation, I think. I think Saul hopes it will work itself out. Another battle will come along. The Philistines will be redirected. Goliath will get bored. Maybe we can just kind of wait this thing out. He's terrified. He doesn't want to answer the bell. He doesn't want to step up and fight this guy. But see, here's the problem. It doesn't just work itself out. Goliath continues. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and every evening, and he took his stand. Some problems won't go away. Some things don't work themselves out. Goliath kept showing up day after day, morning and evening. So what's the lesson in that for us? It's a huge lesson. When it's time to fight, the cost of passivity is far greater than the cost of action. Please don't miss this. Far too many Christians have never been told part of walking with the Lord is fighting. You've got to fight. You didn't sign up to, to just kind of gather and safe worship services, go to life group, tack on a mission trip every now and then and tithe when I feel like it until God calls me home to glory. That is not what you signed up for. You engaged in a fight the moment you were born again. It's not with flesh and blood, the New Testament says, but it's with a real enemy who seeks to destroy your life. See, church, we are engaged in spiritual warfare and it is a fight. And if you think you could just go through this life super passive and I'll just keep kind of, it'll work itself out. I'm telling you right now, you are a sitting duck waiting for the enemy to destroy your life. Men, you gotta fight for your marriage. Don't be passive in your marriage. You gotta fight for your children. Grandparents, you gotta fight for your grandchildren. Moms, you gotta fight for your kids. You gotta fight for your marriage. You gotta fight for holiness. You've gotta fight for righteousness. If you take a passive approach in this world and expect to grow in Christ's likeness, I'm telling you right now, you're setting yourself up for the enemy to devour you, which is what he's looking to do. You cannot be passive. It will always cost you more in the long run than stepping in to the active obedience that God is calling you to and spiritual warfare he's calling you to engage. So put on the full armor of God. Hear from God. Get in his word. Surround yourself with other brothers and sisters in Christ who are ready to fight, not each other, not lost people, but the enemy who's seeking to destroy us. Okay, so look at your lessons. I gave you five, okay, five lessons. Now, if you put all five of these into practice this week, will you email me? That would bless my heart, okay? That would, that would really bless my heart. Let me tell you what's more likely to happen. You put into practice one. 
I gave you five, and we're looking at his entire life. So look at your notes, and I want you to choose one. And honestly, if you did email me, hey, here's the one I chose, that would encourage me as well. This is the one lesson I'm gonna seek to put into practice. And if you'll do that, the life of Saul will have served you well. See, knowing the stories of Saul don't serve us well. It's when we take the lessons, we put them into practice through the power of the Holy Spirit and to help us grow in Christ's likeness. Hey, can I pray for you as you seek to do that this week? And so God, that is our prayer. We don't wanna just take your word and let it be something that we learn and then kind of put it back on the shelf and move on about our week. God, we want it to transform us. And so God, as we look at these lessons, we're reminded of your kindness, we're reminded of your graciousness, we're reminded of your goodness, that we too can fail and that we can make mistakes and that we can move forward. And that ultimately those failures and mistakes can sometimes serve us best through the power of the Holy Spirit. So God, help us to grow to become more like Jesus from these lessons we've looked at today. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen.